You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 28 of Tarot Talk. I'm your host, Holly Ramey, and I'm super excited to be sitting down today with Dr. Megan Galaski. She is a holistic MD, and she is on a mission to unite. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy you asked me to do this. Me too. So for the listeners, if you haven't already listened, Megan just started a a podcast with a former guest, Sarah Rosser, called Wild Healers. And that's how I came to find and know about her. Um, And we'll get into uh, a little bit about your new podcast in a while. But for now, uh, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm an MD, which stands for medical doctor. Everyone knows that, but (laughs) I say that because it just kind of signifies like it kind of gives you an idea of the framework of maybe who you think I might be in your mind when you hear those letters after someone's name. And uh, you may find that um, some preconceptions you have might not hold true at the end of our talk. We'll see. Anyway, but I'm trained in Western medicine. And so then that's how I got those letters at the end of my name after a lot of money and a lot of years. Um, And after I finished medical school and residency, well, and, and kind of in the middle of residency, I got very interested in holistic medicine and alternative care. Um, and that's where I focused a lot of my continuing medical education and my, you know, things after residency along with psychiatric care and mental health. So that's kind of what I'm really passionate about. Um, and that spans the gamut from, um, I, I basically go anywhere between like loving energy healing chiropractic care all the way up to, of course, I prescribe medications and I prescribe psychiatric medications and things like that. So, so I kind of have the, a, a wide range um, that I believe in and um, that I am passionate about and that I like to kind of walk people through and, and help them with trying to figure out what the best modality of care for them is going to be. Um, and I'm, I'm a pediatrician, so, you know, of course I'm taking care of kids, but a lot of times I'm taking care of moms and relationships more than anything. So, you know, yeah, we have our little sick visits and things, but a lot of it's well visits and infant well visits, which are my very, very favorite thing to do. Infant care and breastfeeding, I'm very super passionate about and mental health. So, that's what I'm doing right now, and I, I practice as a general pediatrician, but as you said, um, I have a, a few side things that I'm doing, and Wild Healers Podcast is, our, is my newest venture, which I'm having a blast doing, um, and I also do photography on the side, so I've got a lot of passions and a lot of things, and um, hopefully a, 
little bit of a fresh viewpoint that I'd like to put out into the world. So yeah, so I'm excited to get into it and like hear what questions you have and, and what we could talk about today. So many things. <laughs> things I have to ask you. I'm like, first question, how do you manage to be a mother and a doctor and have any kind of <laughs> other side hustle or passion? How many, how many kids do you have? I have two kids. Um, I don't have to sleep very much. I think that's the only way to do it. Um, I have two kids. I have Miles, who is five. And he is actually a special needs kid. So that kind of adds on to everything too. He has um, some sensory needs and he had childhood apraxia of speech, which is a brain disorder where his brain doesn't tell his mouth muscles how to move to make words and word sounds. And so he was nonverbal until he was four. And now he's five and now I can't get him to shut up. <laughs> but he, and I think back anytime I'm mad cause he said mommy for the 500th time that day, I just have to think back to where I just wanted him to say mommy for four years, you know? So he is a hoot. He's probably going to be a comedian when he grows up. His favorite is like Dick Van Dyke. He loves Dick Van Dyke. Um, he's, yeah. So, and then I have Juniper who we, some, we call June or Juniper and she's two, she'll be three soon. And she's very much like me. Um, and I'm learning how to take care of a three-year-old who's an empath, which Mm. I'm very stumped by so far and I'm trying to figure that out. Um, but it's fun. I mean, we, we fight a lot and we love a lot, so there's no kind of middle ground. Um, and she's, yeah, she's great. She's a blast. She's super smart. And my joke on her is she'll either be the president or a meth addict. There's going to be no in between with her. I have a three-year-old who is a Gemini with Scorpio rising and Scorpio moon. And I say the exact same thing. And she's also very empathic. And I'm like, she's either going to be like a crazy healer. Well, she's already a Reiki master because I had to get my master attunement while she was in my belly. But uh, there you go. Or she's going to be like a, like a, I don't even know. A, I don't even know. She's she's very like one extreme or the other. But I guess all toddlers are kind of that way. They are. They are for sure. Especially girls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it difficult for you? I was thinking about this in terms of like your children, but I guess you could say that about like anybody in your family. This is totally off course and off script of what I was going to ask you, but here we are. Wow. <laughs> is it difficult for you to like not want to like, especially with your son who has special needs to not view them as a doctor and not want to like, you know, always be one. Like, I don't know if I'd be able to compartmentalize those two parts of my life. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, I don't treat them as I shouldn't and no pediatrician's treat their own children because there's a conflict of interest there. Like what you're saying, you just, you just can't 
step outside of yourself and your emotions towards that child and treat them objectively like you should. Um, so yeah, I mean, and not, and finding the boundary between like doing a lot to try to help them, but also acting like their parent and not like their doctor. So definitely, I mean, I, my friend in my practice sees my kids and treats them, you know, and I ask a lot of other people, a lot of questions and a lot of pediatricians questions. Um, and I really, really try to keep myself just as their mom as much as I can. Um, but yeah, every pediatrician parent that I talk to struggles with that for sure. That's, that is a good lesson in boundaries right there. Mm-hmm. It really is. And for physicians in general, like we can't treat ourselves. We mm. can't treat our spouses, mm. our parents, our, you know, and then your friends, it kind of gets even sticky because you want to treat your friends and you want to help your friends. Yeah. But again, are you going to be able to be hundred percent objective and then are they gonna be able to be a hundred percent honest with you because there's a special bond in the patient doctor relationship that's different from a friend friend relationship mm-hmm. you know we honor your privacy a hundred percent as a doctor so we want you to tell us all your dirty laundry and we're not there to judge you and so when those boundaries get crossed in family or friendships, it's, it's definitely difficult for yeah. sure. It's kind of like when I'm giving my partner a tarot reading and I'm like, honey, you really need to have boundaries with your mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly, that is exactly it in one sentence. That is exactly it. I try to coach my husband sometimes and I'm like, <laughs> The whole time I'm thinking during our coaching session, I'm like, am I doing this out of any of my own wants or intents? And I don't know how you cannot. I mean, we're human beings. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just start off by asking a little bit about like, what led you into medicine? Like, did you have any personal experiences because you have to start so young and then you have to go to school for so long. I imagine you're a totally different person when you begin your journey to when you come out of it. Um, so um, maybe just a little bit about how you decided to pursue medicine in general. And then if anything specific led you into the alternative route and the holistic route, or if that was your intention all along. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, um, my mom said I told her I wanted to help mommies deliver babies when I was four. So I would say that my like instinct for healing and helping was probably just a part of me. Um, I went a whole different path all the way through high school and actually was just involved in the arts and did singing and dancing and music, and I wanted to be on Broadway. That was like my goal. Um, So then I thought, well, I don't know if that's a realistic goal, and I don't know if I want to be in New York waiting tables. I don't know. So I thought, well, how can I do both of these things? Like, how can I heal 
and be in the arts. So I wanted to be a physical therapist for a ballet company like ABT or Alvin Ailey. All these big companies have their own physical therapist. So I actually started in physical therapy, started college in PT, did a lot of PT shadowing. I love it. It's, you know, it's great. I believe in it. It's a really holistic approach if you think about it, because you're just healing the body, you know, you're using the body to heal the body. Um, But I was a little bored, to be quite honest. And I was like, you know what? My type A was like in my head going, you know, you want to be the tippy top. Like, you know, you want to be your boss, your own boss. You know, you don't want to take orders from somebody else. And you know that you want to know everything there is to know about this. Like, I just have this urge to like know all the things to just, and I love the human body and how it moves and how it works. So I, I was like, okay, so I did medicine and yeah, you're 19 when you decide Um, if you're just taking a traditional route through college. And so I was 19. That's crazy to think about that. Um, And I was going to be OB. Like that was my whole reason for going to medical school. I wanted to to deliver. And I love babies and I love delivery videos. I mean, I could do that stuff all day. But um, then on my rotations, I realized two things. One, I'm not a 5 a.m., person to do surgeries at five o'clock and six o'clock in the morning when they do their operations. And two, I cared more about the baby once it was delivered than the mom. And I would always just want to be with the baby at the warmer. And I was like, I just need to do the babies, you know? Mm. And, um, so I switched to pediatrics and, um, Yeah. Once you're done, so you start everything when you're 19 and you graduate when you're 31 from residency, if you go straight through. Well, 30 or 31. I did take one year off and worked as a medical assistant while my husband finished college when we were engaged. And that was super helpful too, because I got to see another side of working in the healthcare field and like kind of be, you know, a lower man on the totem pole and be told what to do and work really hard and do hands-on phlebotomy and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so there you're 31 and then you graduate residency and you're like, Oh wow, here I am. I don't know if I'm very mature or not. I've kind of been in school my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, um, it is kind of like being hit with a ton of bricks. You're not really feeling well prepared. Um, as far as turning to a holistic approach, I had a a preceptor in residency who was actually the president of the Tennessee chapter of the AAP, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics. So that's like the National American Society for Pediatricians. And she was the president of the Tennessee chapter, and she's very into um, holistic and alternative healing. She goes to Bonnaroo every year and she's like 70. She's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So she had us do rotations in acupuncture, chiropractic. Um, She had us look at like one 
job that we had to write about and journal about. She made us journal a lot, which I loved. Um, was like seeing what do they have at the grocery store available over the counter. You know, things like this that don't even come to your mind, but we don't know that. It's not like all of us have kids in residency and we're not looking at the baby aisle at the grocery store. Mm. So I kind of was like, huh, there's more in this realm of, you know, and we had a whole course on it as most American medical schools do have a course on alternative approaches and all of that stuff. And so she was my kind of pathway in. And then once I graduated, I had always felt like I had two halves of my brain fighting each other, like my creative half that was the Broadway and the arts. And then my left half of the brain that was the one that wanted to know everything about everything and get all A's and be a doctor. So I, I kind of always felt like they were at war with each other. And then I started realizing really just within the past two to three years that there's a way to marry them together that instead of feeling burdened by my brain, I should feel blessed by my brain because it is unique in that way. And I get to kind of see this from different angles. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a long time, I was kind of hurt when you know, when I was young and then I decided to be a doctor, everybody was like, wait, but aren't you going to (laughs) sing? And then once I got into residency and didn't have time to sing or play my guitar or things like that anymore, then everybody would be like, oh, you sing and play? So it's like interesting to see how the world sees you in these two different, completely different things. And in their minds, it can't even like exist in the same space. Mm. And since that, since I went through that, I was feeling pretty down about it for a really long time. And I was like, man, people either know me as this or that. And so I started identifying myself as this or that, or like, honestly, just being stressed about having to pick one or the other, Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel comfortable in either. Like I felt really out of place with just all the musicians and artists and free spirits, because they weren't addressing things in a manner that I felt like was honoring, you know, science and more cerebral thinking. And then I didn't feel good with just the nerds in my science classes because they thought I was a crazy person for using essential oils to go to sleep. You know, it was just like so dichotomous. And so with just, it's just been within the last two, three years that I've been like, no, there's a space for this that we can have both together. And so that's how I've now become what I would call a holistic pr- practitioner, really. And in order to become a holistic practitioner, do you have to do even more schooling after all? <laughs> yeah. Or like eight or 10 years of schooling? Yes. So you don't have to. Um, I have not because I frankly cannot bring myself to do two more years of formal schooling right now. Um, I just was too burnt out to keep doing it. Now, I have some friends 
um, especially in California, there's only a few um, fellowships in integrative medicine so that you can go into from an MD or a DO track. And there's like three or four programs nationally. And you can do them as distance learning and stuff. And I looked at them earlier this year and I thought, you know what? I would love to know that. And then I started thinking, well, am I an imposter for saying that I am that without doing that training? Because that's how our doctor brains think is that you have to do X, Y, Z, and you have to do this exact training. Otherwise, how dare you call yourself that because you have to be an expert and know everything about it. And so I talked to my friends and I was like, well, can I even call myself this because I don't know everything about this and somebody's going to ask me questions and I'm not going to know the answer and I'm going to freak out because as a doctor, everybody wants you to know all the answers. Yeah. Um, And they were like, no, you know what? You do not have to have that certification or that fellowship to be practicing in a way that's holistic and encompassing in the approach. So Yes, there's a lot of different ways to that path. And some people, I mean, I'm sure there's people who would listen and they'd be mad that I'm calling myself that without that training. And then on the flip side of the coin, there are people who don't believe that there's even a place for alternative modalities who would be like, well, who cares? Why is she even calling herself that? Because she should be in our camp because she's an MD. So it's like, I kind of threw my hands up and I was like, whatever, I'm just going to do what feels good and right. And I'm going to learn and teach myself as much as I can. And I'll probably just go through and get smaller certifications. Like I I love that you're a Reiki healer because I would like to get my Reiki certification and, and things like that, that are like smaller steps. And that way I can still be holistic, but maybe not have like a full, full fledged two more year fellowship that I just... And also it's expensive. I mean, it's it's really expensive. And you don't get paid well in fellowship or residency. You make less than minimum wage. So it's like, let's find another way to do this. So if you go through that fellowship or that training, then you would be called an integrative doctor. Is that what they call it? Yes. I honestly, yes. Okay. Uh but there is so much terminology that I have to look this up every time because okay. it's so confusing. I mean, it's confusing enough in the world of healthcare who's a doctor or MPE because like nurse practitioners technically have a doctorate now, but they're not going to go in their room and say, I'm Dr. So-and-so because then that would confuse the patient. It's just so confusing, all the wording. And... um you know, like naturopathic doctors. Yes, they're a doctor, but no, they're not an MD. It just gets all like, so I don't, I think that that is technically your title if you graduate from that fellowship. But from what I've talked to with people who go more this route, it is more of just describing your scope of practice and like what you do rather than like putting a label on it and making people aware that you are an MD because I think it is important that people know that for a lot of reasons. One, just so they can know your history and your training and where you've been. And two, I do think that it gives a certain weight 
to your knowledge base that your patient and your society is going to expect from you. And that's good. I mean, that's fine. That's what we signed up for. So I think that that, you know, when you hear doctor or medical doctor, I think that that is part, well, people have a lot of connotations that come to their minds, but part of it is the years of, of training that it took and you're, that you're expected to have a deep, at least knowledge base of the body. Yeah. So, which is true. Yeah. And great. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, let me pick out the 10 questions that I had from that one answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, uh, the thing that sticks out in my mind, are you a Libra by any chance? Um, I think, oh my gosh, I got to get out. Well, I'm a Scorpio, but Scorpio I got to get out my thing. Scorpio full moon episode. How? Yes, I know. When you asked me on the Scorpio full moon, I was like, this is so perfect. So I'm a rising Capricorn. My son is Scorpio and my moon's Aquarius. So I'm very, very watery. Um, and yes, my Venus is in Scorpio. I have Mars and Medheaven in Libra. But I, um, yeah, I have a lot like Aquarius, like the funkiness of Aquarius and the artistic, you know, part. And then like the more emotional parts and feisty parts of Scorpio, I guess I would say. And then, yeah, I think that the, the Capricorn rising part is probably like, like, the seriousness and like the left brain. You're like scientific. Yeah. 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 And also like that earth sign, like the body, you know, health. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what you called in your, in your recent podcast um, interview, the great divide. Right. And it's the, the divide between like Western medicine and, um, I don't know, more holistic practices and um, how we kind of bridge the gap. And, you know, it's like for someone like me who is a Reiki master and, and focuses mostly on energetics. Um, and, but I, I do think that someone like me is kind of pinned into this category of like only using herbal medicine and, and never using, you know, antibiotics or anti-vax. And, you know, there's these very like strong, um, opinions and it's like, you're, you're this way or you're that way. Um, so I think the question that I want to ask is like, why we've fallen into this, these like polarized places and how we kind of start to bring it back together. I'm so glad you asked that because that's probably the thing I'm the most passionate about. Um, just like I don't see a difference between science and God, mm-hmm. I don't see a difference between um, Western healing and holistic practices. We call them really different things. And we've come to a place where they feel like really, really different things. Um, But they're probably not as different as we think they are when we get down to the nitty gritty. So to the first part of your question, which is how did we get here? 
Um, in our podcast episode that we just discussed, which is called Bridging the Great Divide, because we want to serve as a bridge or a conduit to joining these sides, um, we feel like probably with with history in both Western medicine and alternative healing. In Western medicine, you know, it really even goes all the way back to Greek times and Hippocrates and the way that we shifted from spiritual-based healing to what we would now think of as a scientific-backed or based healing. Um, And then that got strengthened the more scientific knowledge we gained. So as we found out what a cell was and as we found out that germs are what causes diseases and we, you know, because can you imagine how crazy people thought people were when they were like, invisible things are what's making you sick, like a real invisible thing that you can't see with your eyes. You know, people probably thought they were wild, but, um, but then we found out that was true. So as we gained this scientific knowledge, we started viewing it as separate and different from spiritual knowledge or energetic knowledge or like that voice inside you, your conscience or your gut or whatever you want to call it, right? So we started thinking, saying that those two things were really different, um, especially with our ideas in our country, which were separation of church and state. So that went way beyond (laughs) just saying like, what it was meant for. And now we take it as like, we're not going to get spirituality or we're not going to get mind work or even mental health. I mean, even mental health stuff wasn't even coming in until like the eighties and nineties. So we were like, it's this or that. We came up with the scientific process, which is where you make a null hypothesis and then you test that hypothesis through one of the various available scientific uh, methods that's available for testing. Um, Usually what you think of when you think of a test like that is a double blind study, right? Which is where doctors or scientists are like, okay, we're going to test out this drug or this medicine or this therapy and people are going to be blinded to which one they're getting so that they can't, so that their minds can't have an effect on it. And we're just going to see what the body does. And that part is super cool to think about. Like when we make these drugs in the lab, it when you really learn it and you do organic chemistry and you're seeing these compounds and then you're seeing now that we can model these 3D shapes on computers, it's amazing. Like you're seeing this 3D thing of a protein that is submicroscopic and you can see it and we can make something that fits exactly right in there into it like a lock and key and we know exactly what it does in the body and it's it's super great and it's cool and it's very precise Um, And that's wonderful. But what it does is it makes us start getting into these camps where you think that either something like that is good, where it has to be tested that way, has to come out of that thinking, has to come out of knowing exactly what's happening on a physical level. Or if that's not feeling right to you, then we want to jump all the way over to the other side 
of the aisle, which is, well, that must be bad for you. And I believe in the spirit and the gut and my conscience and religion and spirituality and energy and whatever. I mean, there's so many words to this. Um, then you think, well, there's no room for me over there. They must think I'm stupid. They must not want to hear what I have to say. So I'm just going to negate it altogether. And every single thing, I'm going to go to the opposite side of the camp. So then that started, you know, in really the early 1900s. And then as advertising and the internet honestly came about, it just became more and more and more that way. So now where we're at is not only are you online with peer groups that agree with you because it feels really nice to like say something online and everybody agrees with you. It gives you this little dopamine hit, a little serotonin hit and a little oxytocin. So you like feel joined with people and you feel happy and high. It's a great combo but it fades super fast. So then you got to go back for another hit. So you're going to go scroll on your phone again and you're only going to have targeted advertising to what you've scrolled for in the past. And you're probably not going to hear two different sides of a story. And if you are, it's going to be something extremist that's crazy sounding. And so then it makes you just go more within your own camp. And so that's where we've come to now, which is now, like you said, people feel like they can only be this or that, or they can only believe this or that. And I think that's unfortunate because it just, it limits our abilities as humans so much. I mean, it's just very limiting in any way. So the more I've talked about this, the more I have found Um, physicians in particular who have been really passionate about this and are very into this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have people who are very scientific and very particular and, you know, dork straight A students who still recognize that there's this other healing to be had. So you can find all these little niches now online. We're talking about dreams and what do they mean? There's a supernatural MD healing group. I mean, (laughs) they get really specific and that's great. I'm like, yes, let's open up those pathways. So we are just now in the early 21st century seeing an interest return in Yes, we may not know exactly how that protein fits into that receptor, but we still know that it does something good and that it has an effect. And so can we utilize it without doing a $2 million double-blind study? Or is that not okay? Like, is it going to have dangers to it? Um, Because scientists are going to, like, really want to examine both sides of it. They're going to... You know, if somebody's like, hey, I have a cure for something and it has no side effects and it's good for everything, like CBD is a great example. If somebody's saying that it does everything under the sun and it's great for everything and it has zero side effects, that does not exist in real life. So there's some catch somewhere. So the good scientists and the good doctors and the good practitioners are going to be like, okay, what? does this do? Can I study it? Can I look at what dose can it actually do something? 
And you have people doing that. I mean, there's great research that's going on on, on CBD and things like that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't just, you know, I, that's what I'm passionate about. It's like, where is that balance? Where is that balance? We got to use antibiotics when they're needed, obviously, but we way overuse them in the 80s. And that's taught across medical school. I mean, that's a, that's a doctor point of view. That is not a, a holistic or alternative point of view. The doctor's residency is like, do not prescribe antibiotics that aren't needed. I mean, you have a lot of tests on that kind of thing now. They're very pushing it. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's just about finding that balance and... And when I say, I guess we should rewind and say, like, when I say holistic or alternative, what what I'm really talking about there is anything that doesn't fit into that Western dome of medicine that's like, that is that double blind testing, that is that laboratory tested tried and true thing that we know every effect of and side effect of, like, you know, so... It's, it's super broad when you think of alternative methods because it can go all the way back to like Chinese herbalism and then it can go to acupuncture and Reiki and I mean, it's so broad. So um, I'm happy we're starting to see more of the utilization of those things. It's really cool. Okay. <laughs> oh that God. was a lot. Yeah, I know. Like, okay, there's a few places I want to go from there. Um I think, and you said so much that I, I didn't even consider um, when talking about Western medicine because like double, what do you call them? Double, double blind. It means I don't know what I'm giving you and you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. So we can't be biased. So we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so from my perspective, like that's not even on my radar because I don't even have that deep understanding of medicine and, and how it works. Um, and, and probably most don't. Right. But for me, uh, and what I'm seeing and, and even from my own personal experience, it's like, what do you find is these common misconceptions and I'm calling them misconceptions because I'm assuming that they are. Um, but these ideas of like Western medical doctors don't care about us. They don't care about who I am. They don't see me as a person. They just see me as a number. They come into my, they come into the room for 10 minutes and you know, what can you even know about someone in 10 minutes? Um, or one like, uh, they're just in the pocket of farm of big farm. It's just a business. Um, or that Western medicine only treats symptoms. It doesn't look for the root cause. Western medical doctors don't know anything about nutrition. These are the kinds of things that I'm thinking when I think about like what holistic practitioners, um, argue against Western medicine. Um, and I'm interested to know, like, do you guys know a lot about nutrition? Like, is that taught? Like, are you taught about, um, you know, talking to your, to your patients and, and seeing what's going on with them in other areas, uh, besides just these few symptoms that they're having? Like, how does that all play? How do you think these misconceptions, where do you think they come from and are they true? Yeah. That's so good. Well, 
you know, I'll say that when you are a doctor or a, a an MD, and then you think that you've made the right decision to help people, and then you've paid a whole lot of money and all of your years of your 20s to help people, and then you start hearing these things floating around, it is the most disheartening thing in the whole world because you thought you were helping the world, and then people say, at the least, they say you're not helping the world. At the worst, they say that you're hurting people or like that you're exactly like in the pocket of other people. So, yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions. And then there are a lot of what we call um, systemic problems. So a lot of what you're seeing and hearing as far as the way that current uh, MDs and DOs have to practice medicine is a result of the system. So it is not how it's taught in school at all. So a fun, you know, fact of misconception that I like to tell people is that, yes, in medical school, in a state medical school, not something fancy, uh, you have more hours of nutrition class than you do a pharmacology class. So over the four years. So yes, you're taught a lot of nutrition. And unfortunately, the way the system is set up now with time limitations and the electronic medical record, EMR, and the way that insurance uh, pays us, we have phased a lot of that out um, because it's just not feasible for time. Um, so you'll notice that practitioners that get to focus on those things usually aren't accepting insurance. Um, and that's because they're able to charge you, um, an, an amount that's fair for you to pay and for them to make for that amount of time. And that, and it's a transaction the way that it used to be a hundred years ago when you went to the doctor, right? Like you paid them directly and you got the service directly, which is how most things are in life. But now we've added a middleman to the system, which it was not a bad idea at all. It was to help the weak and it was to help the elderly, right? It was to have young people, healthy people pay into a big pot of money so that sick and elderly people would have money to take from when we made insurance. Well, it's turned into something totally different now, which is the insurance companies really dictate everything that, we're, that we can be paid for or reimbursed for. So nutritional counseling, you know, unless you come in for a full visit for nutritional counseling and you stay for, you know, over 30 minutes, we can maybe make $30 or so off of that as opposed to a holistic practitioner who's not taking insurance, who you think of what you would pay for them for a session is at least 50 to $100. And that's more fair for them. They should make that money because that's their knowledge base. I mean, you would pay that to your hairstylist for a haircut, you know? Oh, way more. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> Depending on the job. Um, so that's unfortunately what's happened is that the training and the education has become very disjunct from the practice of medicine. My pharmacology teacher told us as soon as we saw someone on over three medications at the same time, 
to start taking them off of meds because the chance of drug-drug interaction is so great that you can't tease out what's a, a organic cause is what we call like your body having a disease versus a side effect of a medication or two medications fighting each other. So, I mean, he pushed that like big time. So I called my friend who, my best friend, who's an internal medicine doctor at Peds. We don't have that happen too much because if you're on more than three medications as a child, you're like a severely ill kid who probably needs those, all those medications. But in adults, you see that all the time, like all the time. So I said, do you, to her, I said, do you ever take people off of meds when you see them on more than three? Because you remember Dr. So-and-so told us to do that in pharmacology. And she said, no, definitely not. And I said, why? And she was like, I'm terrified to do that. And I said, well, why are you terrified? She's like, what if they have a heart attack because I took them off of their med because they're on two blood pressure medications and they don't want to do lifestyle modification. They don't want to get, they don't want to change their diet. They don't want to stop drinking. They don't want to, or they do want to, and they just don't have the resources to, because they don't, because I don't, she's like, I don't have the time to sit and talk about, about that. I'm too overloaded. So, you know, then you start seeing in that case the cultural problems that we have in our country, especially with fast food availability and the way we view exercise and the way we view health in general. Um, so then you start just feeling kind of stuck. And I think all, all of the doctors I've talked to have felt really stuck. Like, well, yeah, I'd love for my patients to not be on meds and I'd love to talk to them about exercise and diet because I actually know a lot about that and it's fun for us to talk about and I'd much rather do that than prescribe a medication. But because of all of these things in the system, it's just not working out that way right now. Unless you do have privileged people who ha can pay more money for a visit and and do it outside of insurance. So the system to me right now is just really unfortunate in that way. And it's treating people who are disadvantaged even more and just making them more sick because they don't have the money to go and spend 30 or 45 minutes in a counseling session about diet and exercise. Um, and then they get on meds, which either are good or kind of bad or both or combo. And so, yeah, it's that kind of would answer your question in like a umbrella kind of way. It's a systemic problem that we've unfortunately have in our country that's getting worse over time. And, um, and it's just continuing to divide people. And you would be surprised that the doctors are probably in agreement with you in 95% of the time in what they would prefer to talk about, what their actual knowledge base is, um, their knowledge on preventative health, but that they just do not have the time or resources to be able to talk about it. And... Um, and, you know, your primary care doctors, your pediatrician, your adult doctor, you know, your internal medicine doctor, your family doctor, or your OB, they're not rolling in the dough. Like, no, 
I mean, I'll give you numbers because I'm kind of tired of people not talking about numbers, but pediatricians make $100,000 to maybe $185,000 a year, which sounds like a good amount of money until you realize that they've paid $250,000 for medical school. And when you calculate, when the government calculates that out and does a, a repayment plan based off of income, pediatricians and general doctors don't even make enough money to pay the interest on their student loans for medical school. So what happens is a $250,000 loan by the time you're 10 years or not even 10 years out, seven years out has now become a $350,000 loan, even though you're paying on it. So you pay on it for 25 years and you pay roughly a million dollars and then the loan's forgiven. Mm. And it's just a broken system because you, and especially when you go through that and you're just like, this is really what's happening right now. And I work so hard and I see so many patients a day. And then you look maybe across the aisle at somebody who went to less school than you. That doesn't mean they're stupid or dumb. It just means that they maybe had a broader overview or maybe they didn't go into this exact mechanism of the A2 receptor of the thing that, like, does that really matter if you're going to be a general practitioner? I don't know. You know, that's a whole other talk, but it doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means maybe they don't know like every tiny detail, which most of us forget anyway. And then they paid less money and then they make more money um, and you're like, well, dang. And then their patients are t- tend to be happier and they tend to be happier because that system is working. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're seeing a lot of physicians moving away from accepting insurance for that like exact reason. People think, you know, yes, surgeon, yes, your orthopedic doctor and your brain surgeon are still making a lot of money. <laughs> And as they probably should, because like they're digging around in your body. But um, a lot of primary docs and, you know, are like, no, I I want more time with my patients and I want us to both leave satisfied and I'm tired of those misconceptions. So I want to be able to actually do the services that I set out to do and help you in the way that I wanted to and touch you, physically touch you instead of being behind a a computer screen for 24-7 a day. Everybody hates the EMR. No one likes the electronic medical record that they have to type all this information into. Mm -hmm. The patients hate it. The physicians hate it. The insurance companies love it because they can just put, it's all based off of clicks and numbers. And sometimes now if you free text something, like write something into a note, it won't even count because it wasn't in the click box. I mean, and then they won't pay you for a whole visit. And that's so crazy to me because it's not in the patient's best interest at all. It's just so that they can make money. So to me, it's just all a systemic error. And as far as like big pharma, that's a really interesting one. And I don't know that I can really get into it big time other than to say, I think that I definitely would say that MDs are less in big pharma's pockets than you would think and are definitely less in their pockets now than they were because there's been a lot of um, restrictions 
put in place since the early 2000s. Like they can't just come buy you lunch and give you stuff or give you tickets or like all of that stuff's gone. So, which is great. That's good. That's how it should be. Um, But I have an aunt who works in big pharma, quote unquote. And I mean, she's an awesome freaking person and she has the best interests of people at heart. Mm -hmm. You know, she wants to help kids with ADHD meds and like, she's just great. So sometimes it's, sometimes what's happening here is that we're just othering people Mm -hmm. and whether it's just, we need somewhere to put a blame and instead of saying, well, there's probably a little bit of blame in a lot of places, it's easier for our human brain to be like, nope, it's all that. So, you know, it's all that side of the government or it's all that president or it's all that group of people or it's all that conspiracy theorists or it's all those doctors or, you know, whatever it is. That's just easy for our brains to do, and I don't blame people for doing it, Um, but I do blame them for doing it and then not being receptive to listening to another standpoint with an open heart because Mm -hmm. you just be surprised what you learn when you listen to other, other people. And also that we're all different and If I start bringing up how many years I went to school, it in no way implies that you are a bad human being or that you're a dumb human being or that I'm better than you in any way. Um, It just means that I may have more knowledge base in XYZ and you may have other knowledge base in XYZ. So instead of saying, well, I know everything and you don't know anything or then on the other side saying, well, you don't know what really matters and you, you really don't. And like you said, like you don't spend time with me and you don't care. And how do you know me instead saying, Hmm, what can you teach me? Like, what can you show me? And what do you know? Cause doctors are honestly trained to be really efficient. So just cause we do something fast it does it may not feel personal but it doesn't mean it's not personal now i can't speak for everybody but you know most people are trying to be personal um they've done studies showing how long uh, how how patients feel and patient satisfaction rates um when physicians leave the room based off of if they sit down or not mm. so if your practitioner comes in and doesn't sit down, then you're likely to underestimate the amount of time that they spent with you. Mm. But if they come in and sit down and talk to you, you tend to overestimate the amount of time that's spent. So perception is a lot of it. Same with like having the computer in the room or not. I try to not take my computer in my exam rooms because Patients grossly underestimate the amount of time that you've spent with them if you bring a computer in the room. So it's about the perception and it's about that relationship. Like if you're sitting down, then I'm going to perceive that you're listening to me more. If you don't have a computer in front of you, I'm going to perceive you listen to me more, even if that time was actually the same, which is so crazy. But those kinds of things, like I think everybody wishes we could get back to a place where 
we all felt heard more and then we all felt respected more, both as a practitioner and a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, cause what, what can happen is if you don't get the answer that you're looking for, I mean, I've been a patient too. Everybody forgets that doctors are patients. Like if you don't get the answer that you're looking for the first, second, third, 10th time, what's easy then to do is just say, this is all bad and I don't believe any of it. I'm going to go a whole different route and I'm going to exclude any knowledge base from that anymore, ever. And that's a dangerous path to go down because then you could be missing out on help from the other side, you know? And that can happen either way. People can have bad experiences with Western medicine and then go to the extreme the other way. And people can have bad experiences with alternative healing and then say, I'm never going to go to the chiropractor again, you know? And that's just limiting and, and boxing yourself in. So yeah, the, the misconceptions are disheartening and I do wish people would think like, just talk to people more because you'd be surprised (laughs) probably, maybe. I know I definitely am and have been. Um, and I think culturally right now with technology and like you said, with targeted ads, it's so easy to fall into one camp or the other and then to have your ideas or your opinions boosted by all of this information around it and all of these people who have similar, but we forget to like believe in the innate good in everyone sometimes. I think we forget to look at each person and remember that they are good at like their heart and soul and that they want to do what's good and what's right. Um, Yeah. And and that they're part, I mean, I'm of the belief that we're all a part of each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that they're part of you and that they're part of the whole and the oneness that we call all of us. And so, yeah, sometimes it's easier to put people in groups because if you went up to a specific person and you were like, or you're calling one person out and you're like, you're evil, you know, that's why big pharma always kind of cracks me up. I'm like, who is big pharma? <laughs> who is that person? Like, I picture it as like Mr. B pharma. Like, <laughs> who are you actually talking about? He's friends with big brother. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's easier to put people in groups because you can dehumanize what you were saying, dehumanizing the other. And, and then that can lead you to a path of, of thinking of, of a group, like of an in-group, out-group mentality, mm-hmm. which is sad. You know, we see that happening now, even with COVID and, and the conspiracy theories and things that are coming out with that. And I can see where, I mean, I knew that was going to happen because I have that brain. I have that hippie side that's like, are we really sure of this? Or like, what's the craziest thing that it could be or happen? Like, my brain's going to do that. Then I also have this reasoning side that's like, hmm, probably <laughs> this makes more sense, you know. And, and it's just hard. So that comes back around to trust which is my, if you zoom all the way out, I think it's all about that because 
you know, you can argue point by point, but what I've found is if I argue point by point with people or try to present facts, what it can come back to is, well, you don't even know that you're brainwashed. Like that's what people will say to the other person. Like you don't even know because your education brainwashed you to think this way and I don't trust your education. So if I don't trust your education, then I don't trust you. And then I just think that's sad. I always tell my husband, like nobody comes up to him. He runs audio for, you know, big concerts. You would never go up to that soundboard in the middle of an arena and be like, um, I think that you need to put this fader up just a little bit or push this button. Because you looked it up online one time and like, you know how to do stadium audio. I'm like, no one has ever done that to you, have they, Nathan? And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, think about that now is that the trust in the medical system has diminished so much to a point that people now believe that they can go look up something online and come and tell their doctor, I've looked this up up and I therefore know more than you on this topic. And so I, and, and I've done my research, right? That's the word, right? I've done my research and I'm not going to do this thing or I am going to do this thing because I know what's best for me and my body, or I know what's best for me and my children's bodies. And I'm like, they don't even do that about a soundboard. And that soundboard only has like a thousand buttons on it. Mm-hmm. You know how many tiny little things have to interact in our body for them to work all perfectly? It's crazy. It's crazy. What do you think we learned about for so many years? It was I, a lot. <laughs> um, oh, go ahead. No, I, and that, you know, and so I'm like, yeah, like, so that trust is gone. And and I think it, it's to blame for on the patient side and the systemic side. I really do. I think the trust relationship issue is is not just one person. It's It's a societal issue. I was actually going to ask you uh, how doctors feel about WebMD. Like, do you all have- <laughs> uh, We have a love-hate relationship with that, yeah. Well, we, well, we call it Dr. Google. <laughs> and Dr. Google, we hate. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'll go Google stuff just to see what's coming up, and I'm like, wow, wow. And then I tell people I don't blame them for what they're saying because they're not dumb people. Mm-hmm. They're very smart people. It is nearly impossible unless you have an advanced degree to even figure out what is good information and what's bad information online because there's just so much available and people can make it look really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked up an article on vaccines last year. You know, I'll I'll pop on to like see what's circulating and stuff and I looked up one and it was about trace minerals and it looked like a legit um, article. Like even the, I mean, fancy mathy board ter- terms that you won't care about, but like power and all these things of the study looked pretty legit. And I was like, who put this study out? This is weird because it doesn't make sense, but it looks really good. 
And then I like dug and it took me like a half hour to figure out that this was just like a Joe Schmo in his basement. Like this was not, you know, this is just somebody that put something out there and I could barely tell as a doctor. So I don't blame people when they go and they're like, well, I did my research Mm -hmm. because I did. Mm -hmm. And, and then they did. And so when then they come and they're like, well, don't you know this and this and this? And I'm like, well, no, I'd have to look it up. But then I look it up and then it takes me 30 minutes to an hour to look it up. Then you're like, okay, wait, but let's zoom it back out and say, there's where the trust relationship broke down because you should trust me as your doctor to have the knowledge to where you don't have to go and do five hours of research online where you don't know if, even if what you read was true or not, and you're just hoping that it is, but you have no idea, you know, put that burden on my shoulders. Like, make me be responsible for, for carrying that for you. And if you don't have a practitioner that you feel comfortable with doing that, then you should change practitioners because, you know, it, they shouldn't. And some people like doctors that just come in and say, because I'm the doctor and I'm telling you to do this. Some people like that. Like my husband loves that. He's yeah. like, tell me what to do. I'll do it. I trust you. Fine. You know, but some people don't. And some people want to know more. The problem that comes in is if you do say, I have done my research and I 100% firmly believe this and I will never, ever change my mind then you you're just harming yourself and there's nothing left for you to do like there's no no there's nothing and and it's your disadvantage you know because you've shut off your mind to any possibilities of of anything and that can go for such a wide range of things but a lot of people are like nope I'm not gonna go that route or like I really really want this thing I mean it can be like I'm having this for sure and you better write me the prescription and we're like definitely not yeah. you know we're definitely not gonna write you that prescription and it's all about that perception that People want autonomy and you do you have it autonomy over your body it is your final decision. I'm not, I can't force you to do anything, Um, but I can make, you know, educated recommendations. And then, but if you don't trust me, then my recommendation means nothing to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes you build a good trust relationship and things change and work out. But more and more of what I'm seeing is that even when you work on building a trust relationship between a physician and a patient, um, the outside factors weigh more heavily than the internal factors and the, and the relationship that's there. Um, Like what your mom said or what your friend said or what your in-group said, you know, and it's hard not to be, I mean, the more time, like you said, the more time we spend in these camps and the more time we spend online with those groups, the harder it's going to be for us to have an open mind to another side. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, WebMD is hilarious. I mean, it's not bad. If you put the right exact things, it will spit out a good list. But unfortunately, most people don't put the right things and then it comes out as brain cancer like every stinking time that you put it in the search engine. I like, I have written 
webbed MD from my life because I'm like, this is this is not good for me. I cannot do this. <laughs> oh no, yeah. I don't I've yes, I've told people like don't do it, man. Like especially new moms, don't do it. Just oh. re- just refuse the temptation because it just hurts more than it helps. Makes you worried. Well, I wanted to get into a little bit, um, I know we're getting close to time, but um just a little bit about the alternative side of what you do and how you, so we were talking before that we pressed record and you casually mentioned a Yoni steam. And like, (laughs) I was surprised because most doctors and even like one of my favorite doctors who I follow, um, follow online, um, Aviva Ram, who has like, who's a Western doctor, but has a um, background in herbalism will tell you like, um, Yoni steaming is a, you know, is bullshit. And just because it's an ancient tradition doesn't mean that it's good for you and it's dangerous. You can burn yourself and da 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 da. And then there's other people who are like, this is amazing. And like, I myself am a believer in it. So, like, how do you, um, where did you kind of get interested in some of these, uh, I don't even know what to call them. More holistic. More like ancient or, yeah, yeah. More like um, traditional medicine yeah. things. Yeah. And herbalism. Yeah. And I know that's yeah. so broad to even bring up herbalism as like a, <laughs> a whole other thing. But like, where does your, and, I, and I've heard you talk on your podcast about your like witchy, um, that you would be more likely actually to go out and do like a, a full moon moon ceremony um yeah where does that come from and this is this part of things is all probably newest to me um I am a really deeply spiritual person and I was raised in the Christian church and I used to be like a worship leader and all of that type of thing and as my faith matured and grew, um, for a little bit, I kind of thought that I couldn't do anything anymore because I couldn't do it how I had done it my whole life. But then I was just miserable. I, and I felt so disconnected from myself and my body and my the world. And I was like, no, like I know something is here. And so... It grew and evolved and through listening to some other people who were going through like more similar things like um, and podcasts and things like that. Like I love Pete Holmes and I love the Liturgist podcast and some things like this. I just kind of opened my doors and my arms to different ideas. And that included not only on the spiritual side of things, but like on the herbalism side of things, essential oils, things like that. So as far as there, it's a little bit different in my personal life and my practice because I am pediatrics and we are a little bit more careful with kids than, you know, just because we can't test side effects on them. That's not ethical and we don't really know. So I do still incorporate some of that stuff in my practice and like pediatrics, especially with oils and things. And I'm pretty passionate about educating people on like what's safe and what's not because people tend to even either think like everything's fine or nothing's fine, which is not right. (laughs) Um, So everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'll just slather my entire body in lavender. It's fine. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
I mean, it's just interesting things because more research needs to be done on all of that stuff, honestly, because like they teach you in in medical school, they're like, oh, don't do lavender in, in adolescent boys because it causes gynecomastia, which is breast development. And I really love lavender and I've used this like my whole life. Mm-hmm. And the endocrinologists, which are the hormone specialty doctors, are teaching you that. So one day I was pregnant with my son in residency and I went to my endocrinology, you know, um, teacher. And I was like, tell me about this, this lavender thing. Like, is it really going to make, you know, breast development? Because I know we ask that to every teenage boy who has breast development, are they using lavender products? And she was like, yeah, that's like a, you know, that's a thing. You shouldn't use it. So I was like, I'm going to go to the primary literature, which is in, in boring man talk, big fat books and online search engines of, that you can only access if you're a doctor. Now, people get really mad about that because people are like, well, why can't I access it? I want to be able to read the literature. And trust me when I say this, y'all don't want to read the primary literature. It is the most dry, boring. And honestly, if you don't, if you've not done statistics and like learned how to read it, it won't make sense to you. And you won't know how to read it and interpret the data. Mm-hmm. Not because you're dumb, not because you can't read an article, just you haven't taken the courses and the time to learn this stuff and because it's boring. Nobody wants to do it. So anyway, I went to the primary literature and I could find two articles on this lavender and breast development shebang. And they were both just case studies, which means one or two people it happened to and then somebody wrote up an article about it. So it's not tested. It's not even big cohorts of people, just like one or two people. And I went back to that professor and was like, listen, I must be missing something because this is all I could find in like three days of searching the primary literature, which is a long time to search and only find a couple articles. And she was like, huh. So she went and looked and she was like, you're totally right. I can't find any articles on this. And she was like, do you want to do a study? (laughs) And I was like, uh, no, because I'm about to have a baby and I don't have time for all of that. I tried to talk a couple of freshmen into doing it or M1s or whatever, and they didn't want to do it. So so still, there's no research on like what the lavender particle does when it goes and hooks into that receptor in your body because there's just no research because there's no money. I think there could be money in the future in it, but, and then you'd, and you'd either have to have money to fund it or a young, you know, doctor who didn't have anything better to do with their time than to look up that. So stuff like that, that's just like one little example, but my brain always goes back to that example when I'm thinking of these things, which is, okay, my guidelines are does it have a possibility of healing? And if it does, I want to open my mind to that possibility. And does it have a low risk of side effects? So yeah, with the Yanni steam, could you burn your vagina? Yes. Or like the thing came out with jade eggs in your vagina with goop and Gwyneth Paltrow, like probably not a great idea to go around and like walk around for days with warm body in your vagina. Like not a great plan from an infection standpoint. 
But does that mean you shouldn't do any pelvic floor training or any yawning steaming? Like, no, you just have to think about what the possible consequences are. And also it's your personal decision. So if you're willing to take on the chance that you could sit on that on that pot and if that water could be too hot and you're going to live with those consequences, like you're assuming the responsibility um, for your body. So, so as far as like my personal practicing and like what I do, even things that maybe don't do like, yes, I don't think it probably actually does anything that I could put into a scientific like mindset standpoint, but we know that ritual does a lot for healing our minds and our immune systems and our hormone balances. We know that. That's scientifically proven. So we could just take ritual and if it's something that's coming in, it's same with like um, stones, which I don't do a lot of crystals and stones and stuff. Um my husband will kill me if I add one more thing on that I want to keep kidding. <laughs> um, but that is, to me, it's a lot of the same thing. Like w- when you assign a um, healing property to an object or when you assign a healing property to an action, um, we can't explain energy healing, but we know that you come away feeling healed. And that's because healing goes deeper than just like this protein in this receptor in the body. Yes, that is a huge part of it. But if you also don't have the ritualistic, you know, when you go to the doctor, it's a ritual. You check in at the front desk, you sit and you wait in the waiting room, you go and you sit on the table you wait for 45 minutes until the doctor comes in, you talk for five minutes and you go. And how that ritual goes and how it feels in your body has just as much to do with the healing as the medicine that's prescribed to you at the end of the visit. So if you go in and you're having a bad day and the receptionist at the desk is in a bad mood and they don't look at you in the eye and then they check you in and then your doctor's running behind and you wait for an hour and then they come in and they only spend five minutes with you and they sit behind a computer screen and then you get your medicine, you're going to leave feeling really dissatisfied and you're not going to feel healed. Mm. But if you go in and it's a warm environment, you have kind people talking to you. If your doctor's running on time that day and they see you really fast and then you get the same medicine, you've had the same technical outcome, but your healing experience is not equal. Mm. Um, so these rituals that surround healing are super important. And, um, that's why I gravitate towards, you know, my little tiki. I've got my little tiki when I went to Bora Bora and learned that I like on my DNA test, I found out that I'm part Polynesian Islander. So that was important to me. If I had gone and I didn't know that I was part Pacific Islander, I probably wouldn't like care as much of of tiki at my house, right? Mm -hmm. So I think your life experiences and just having an open mind and and the rituals that you assign things, if you take the time out to 
to do them and you're mindful about them and you're taking time for yourself, for your own internal healing, then, then that's very powerful and just as powerful as a medicine that we know what it does, if not more powerful, especially if applied over a lifetime. So, so that's why I do some of those more, you know, I burn sage in my house because I think it works because I'm really kind of praying over my house as I'm burning sage through my house, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe the smoke itself isn't actually doing something. I don't know because I I don't know, but it's doing something, right? It's doing something because I'm making it do something. I'm manifesting that it's doing this because I'm praying through it or meditating through it. So yeah, that's where all that stuff has become so important to me and like in my own personal healing too. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. Part of what my teacher, my mentor um, taught me is to be your own healer (laughs) in the way that like you connect with intention to whatever tool or method you're using. And so like if you go inside and inward inside of yourself and you know you're drawn to take a ritual bath of crystals and herbs and that is what helps shift you into like a place of peace or if you go inside and you're like I don't I'm led to a doctor or wherever you're led but like we have that tool to be able to connect to what we need and then fill it fill that need with yeah and it's, it is, it's about perception. What a beautiful thought to end that on, which is just, yeah, that you have the power to heal yourself and how, how strong our minds are refocusing and practicing mindfulness and, or prayer or, you know, or meditation or however you use to get there for both your mind and your body, which by the way, are so interconnected that I think it's weird that we even separate them out. It's all the same, right? So, but if you heal that and, and, and then if you work with like, how much more can you amplify that if you work with somebody who you trust to also heal your body mm-hmm. um, and who will listen to you and how you want to heal your body? You know, I think before people jump to conclusions, you know, you can ask your your provider to heal your body in a certain way or like tell them your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might be surprised that they might have goals that would totally align with your goals. And our, our underlying goal is that we all want to feel good in our bodies. We all want to enjoy the, <laughs> the ride in bodies that we've been incarnate in. And we want to feel good in our minds and our bodies and and we want to help people, like you said, the innate good in people I really, truly believe in. So, yeah, I appreciate you and you having a podcast and your Reiki healing, too, uh, with that same kind of goal in mind. I think it's great, necessary and needed work for sure. And that's what we're trying to do here, you know, or on our podcast, too, kind of in the same space on on Wild Healers, which is just providing that hopefully that healing that people have been missing or thinking is impossible or thinking doesn't exist. Um, and that unification and that oneness. So 
just all good vibes and all, you know. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to link the Wild Healers podcast and the Instagram in the show notes. Um, thank you for coming on. I'm really, I think that your your perspective is so important. I thank you for being a pioneer in the way that you're approaching uh, Western medicine and and bridging the gap between the Western and the alternative. I think that this needs to be talked about more. Um, and I'm really happy that your podcast is now a place where we can do that. Um, and also thank you for being on the front lines right now in this time. I know we didn't touch on COVID at all and it was one of my questions, but we're going to have to do another podcast and talk about that. Um, because it's, it's a big deal. And, uh, and I know that we're really grateful for, your service and for guiding us and leading us during a time of uncertainty. So I just, I want to thank you for that as well. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And it's an honor to be able to serve people during this time for sure. I feel very lucky to be able to be that for people. So thanks. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you everyone for listening and I will catch you in a few minutes for the full moon forecast. Hi everyone, welcome to the second portion of the show. It is a full moon in Scorpio today. So full moon blessings and I hope that this finds you well. Before I jump into the forecast, just a couple announcements. I have a virtual new moon ceremony for the upcoming new moon in Gemini. It's going to be on the 22nd, a Friday evening at 5.30, and we will be live conferencing via Zoom, but I will still do all of the same things, so we will set intentions. I still offer Reiki healing via the distance channel, tarot guidance, and um, opportunity for meditation and just holding space and um, getting together in community. So you can sign up on my website and I'm also um, offering again my mentorship. So that's a one-on-one three-month journey into the mystical. And in this, I really cater the mentorship to your specific needs. So we focus on what's happening. We do a chakra healing session. We see where you're at, and then we map out a plan of study for the three months. And we meet weekly via Zoom for 90-minute sessions. So you can, again, find that information on my website. And let's jump right into the forecast that I pulled. So Scorpio 
the tarot card associated with Scorpio is death. So Scorpio is very much associated with a time of endings, a time of transformation. The full moon in itself, I always think of as a time for release, illuminating what is ready to be moved through and let go of. And so the message that I asked for this full moon that came through was the justice card in the reversed position and the liminal space card I pulled with that is yield to reality and so what I'm really feeling from this energy of this full moon is that we may be feeling a little bit of indecision we may be caught up in a bit of black or white thinking. If this, then that. We may be indecisive and worried about right and wrong. The other thing I, I tend to see when the, the justice card is in reversal is a little bit of comparison, competitiveness, perfectionism. And it's because we are outsourcing our decisions or we are outsourcing our information. So instead of looking within, we're looking outside of ourselves. We're, we're giving someone else our authority. And so with the card yield to reality, uh, that to me feels like exactly what it is, a yield sign. Um, it's really asking us to stop, to slow down, and to pay attention to what's going on inside and sourcing our, our information and our decisions from there, from our own truth, not looking at what others are doing or, or sitting in indecision and waiting for someone else to make a move, um, but really getting in connection with what balance means for us what right and wrong means to us, not based on societal standards. What is right because we know it within our hearts to be right? Because what is right for us may not be what is right for the next person. Okay, you guys, in the position of um, the question that I asked is what we are releasing. And I pulled the nine of wands from the Way Home Tarot in the reverse position with a card in visibility mode. And this one really gave me pause. Um, and I had to sit and think about this for a little bit because the Nine of Wands is very much a get up and go card. It's very much a card about feeling a little burnout, feeling a little weary, and then, and then really summoning our inner strength, our inner fire in order to push forward. But with the nine of wands in reversal, and I've been seeing nine, and I've been seeing wands in general in reversal a lot lately, um, it's a pause and an offer to slow down and to kind of question where we're going, right? So similar to the card yield to reality, the nine of wands is like, it's, it's time to slow down. This is not the time to push forward. Um, and pulling that within visibility mode. Invisibility mode is when we kind of drop out in order to protect ourselves. And so if we're releasing this energy, 
then we're being asked to take action, right? Just like justice in the reverse position, we're being asked to make a decision. And I pulled justice for in the exact same position a few days ago for the collective. And what we are stepping into is the four of cups. And the energy of the four of cups is like water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And I pulled this with the cloud, the card of the collective consciousness. And really what I'm feeling here is this energy of the fours. I pulled the four of pentacles in the reverse position for today. I also pulled the four of swords to clarify this. And so the fours are very much about constriction. And the answer to that, the medicine to that is stability. And with the cloud, this is the collective consciousness. So no matter what you're doing, you are going to be affected by this energy. Even if you don't look at your phone or watch any news, you will still energetically be affected by the energy in the collective consciousness right now. And it's very much one of disassociation. It's very much one of seeing uh, what we don't have rather than what we do. And I think uh, the phrase that the author of this deck, Bakara, uses for this card is like you're being a brat because it's this energy of focusing your energy and your attention so much on what you lack that you have completely forgotten what you have. And so the invitation of the Four of Cups is to turn your gaze to where your cups are full rather than where they're empty. And you guys, the energy in the collective now is very fearful. And I feel this agitation, right, of being ready to break free of the quarantine, to kind of slack on the rules. And it's not wise. Yield to reality and invisibility mode are telling us it's not wise. We are not ready. We are not done here yet. There is still work to do, and we are far behind in the U.S. anyway, other countries in terms of this pandemic and our ability to contain it. We have more time to stay in, invis in invisibility mode. We are not ready to summon our fire and push outward yet. And yet, there will be the want and the need to look at people who are making different decisions than you and label them as good or bad and right and wrong. And there are going to be people who are fighting to go back to work and open their businesses. And there's going to be a lot of opinions that are different than your own. But what I'm really feeling from this reading is to protect your energy, to stay in your own lane, to do what's right for you because you know it's right. And if it's right for you, hopefully it will be right for others. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure that you are taking into consideration the consequences of your actions, which is what justice in its upright position asks us to do, to consider the consequences of our actions so that we stay in equanimity, in equality, in balance. 
Now, the last two cards I pulled are the four of swords and be your own daddy, <laughs> right? So four of swords is very much a card about resting the mind, about releasing ourselves from worry. And here we're looking for mental stability and really be your own daddy is asking us to take responsibility for what's ours and to come back into moments, mere moments of sourcing within. And again, not outsourcing our decisions, our information. We're being inundated with information, different information every day. And that is, of course, going to affect our state of being, but we have to be able to come back down into our own reality, to come back inward, and to really see what's truth in each moment. And that's a, that's a practice of mindfulness. And I do strongly recommend that over the next few weeks, right? So this full moon forecast is from today, the full moon, and for the next two weeks until the 22nd when we get into this new moon energy. So we have a few weeks to work within this. Um, and it's a lot about moving and connecting back to our internal source, of wisdom and knowledge. And so whether you do that through a seated meditation practice or taking nature walks or spending time outdoors, um, there is very much now medicine for us in disconnecting a little bit from the collective energy, moving inward and sitting with our own reality and noticing when we get triggered, when we're fucking sick of it and why, when we want to break the rules and it's, and it's, and it's me too, right? I, I want to get a little more relaxed about everything too. I find myself wanting to slip back in to old patterning. Um, but that's not the world we're living in right now. That's not where we're at yet. We still must yield to reality, you guys. And we still must take responsibility for our actions and for our emotions and stay in our own lane and not worry about what other people are doing. All right, you guys. So I hope that this helps. I hope that it serves you. Full moon blessings. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, you can do so on my website. And I have some ritual suggestions for this full moon. Um, and if you love this podcast, please do share it, rate it, subscribe. You can leave a donation via Anchor or via Venmo. All the information for that is in the show notes, as well as all the information for the interview with Meg. And I hope to see you soon. Full moon blessings and take care.